From Relay FM, this is Upgrade. It's episode 178, and today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, PDF pen from Smile and Simple Contacts. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hi, Mike Hurley. It's good to be back, and uh, I hope you had a good weekend, and uh, and how you doing? I'm good. It is my birthday week, uh, but I just want to let everybody know that I turned 30 on Wednesday, just so you know, you know, in case you feel like you need to wish me a happy birthday, you can do that on Wednesday the 31st. I turned 30 years old. Everybody should care about that. I think everybody does care about that. But anyway, we're going to talk about our hashtag snail talk question, and this one comes from <laughs> Leonardo. Leonardo wants to know, Jason, what is the feature that you missed most when you use the iPad Pro as a laptop replacement? So what is the thing? You're sitting there with your, your lovely iPad and your keyboard, and you're typing away, and you're like, oh, this is really great, but... Um, first, I, w- I just want to say it's really great to get a question from one of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and I'm um, sorry, I had, I had to do that. <laughs> you, um, you've just given Leonardo the thing that he has had for the last 20 years of his life, and he thinks he's finally escaped it as an adult, but no. Jason no, in there. no, and and of course I could have gone the other way with a a, a, a titan of uh, of the art world, but I mm-hmm. I, I didn't. Um, uh, this is a tough one for me. I was thinking about this before the show, and I've got a lot of little things where I wish the iPad Pro was better. Like iOS with Bluetooth keyboards, still like. Uh, if you command tab to different apps, sometimes it um thinks the command key is still being held down when it isn't and then you type something and it instead of putting the letter it like issues a command and stuff there's occasionally i have that and that's across bluetooth keyboards it's not one keyboard like i see that happen a lot um and that's frustrating when that happens because my mac is rock solid when it comes to that stuff there's a lot of little stuff like that file imports there are these things that i miss a little bit but i think this is I know this is weird but since I edit text a lot because I'm writing a lot on my iPad Pro I got to say I kind of miss having a trackpad like I kind of miss being able to select large chunks of text and move them around um and I know I can put my fingers on the screen and do kind of like sort of like a trackpad but it's not it's not quite the same as having a physical trackpad and you know if if the if iOS supported Bluetooth pointing devices for you moving that text editing cursor around, I would get I would get one because I, I miss that when I'm writing and editing stuff. Today I was putting our document together, um, and it required today uh, a lot of copy and pasting where it typically doesn't. Like I was copying and pasting quotes out of uh, some web pages, and just text selection on iOS can get so fiddly sometimes and you know like i'm dragging the little anchors and then i let go of one and it just pings back to one character as opposed to an entire sentence for a reason i can't understand and i wished for a mouse pointer at that moment just at that one moment i really wanted one the ability to be able to 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 use a trackpad or something every now and then would be kind of nice the moment that crystallized this for me is last year um my family and i went to hawaii and over New Year's. And I was working on the Apple report card story where I talked to a whole lot of people. We're going to talk about this year's today. And that has lots of text from people who, who write in their thoughts. And then I trim it, cut it down a lot. And I was doing that on my iPad using a Bluetooth keyboard, using the bridge keyboard. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I, I kept thinking, oh my God, this is so like, you know, I can hold down the shift key and the arrows and move it around. But I, I just thought this is something that the iPad is, is still just not good enough at is this like a whole lot of text selection and pinpoint cursor kind of stuff. And uh, it's, I feel like, you know, if it's just purely a tablet, you can kind of get by with the approach that, uh, you know, of, of using two fingers or, you know, uh, standard kind of text selection stuff. It's when you get like with a keyboard and then it gets frustrating because I've got to reach up to the screen to move it around. And I just, I, again, I, I don't really understand why Apple hasn't thrown Bluetooth pointer support in to the OS because it would be super limited and a, a really a niche thing, but it would work for text selection and it would work for anyone who's using like a, a screen sharing app. You just be able to use those instead of having to buy like a special mouse that only the works Citrix with a X1 or mouse, which we spoke exactly. about a long time ago. So I I kind of don't know why they haven't done it, just because it would be like to throw a bone at people who are like pros, you know, in a particular area using iOS, and then like the the cursor's already there, the movement's already there. They don't have to. They don't have to. Because the argument that I always get when when I talk about this is somebody says, well, but if they did that, they would need to have a whole, you know, paradigm for selecting items through in all apps using a pointing device. And my response is, no, they don't. <laughs> like, they really don't. They could, if they wanted, say, you know, bullet point in iOS 11.4, added support for Bluetooth pointing devices in for text insertion only. Done. Like, done. Um and they haven't. So anyway, that that's the one. That's actually the one that I that I miss because I work with words a lot. And there are a lot of little little details that I wish were more refined, like they are on the Mac. But that's the one I think that that I would say when I'm traveling and doing like remote recording, it's the file access thing. But day to day, when I'm using my iPad, uh, it's uh, text selection. Thank you to Leonardo for suggesting the question. I hope that that was a good answer. Uh, if you would like to submit a question for us to uh, answer at the beginning of the show, you just send us a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and uh, we'll pick it for a future episode. Uh, Jason, I don't want to do this follow-up item, but you are um, <laughs> very insistent on it. So I will explain yep. something here. So many people uh, may have noticed this. Many people didn't report it because why would they? Uh, when you were listening to the Hamilton chapter last week in If You Use Overcast, you may have noticed that during that part of the show, the Overcast app became rather unresponsive whenever the audio was playing. So it would judder or you couldn't scroll very comfortably and stuff like that. Turns out I discovered a peculiar kind of edge case bug um, in Overcast and uh, Forecast, Marco's uh, application, which was that I needed to make the file small. I needed to make it as small as it could possibly be uh, because there is like a limit to how much you really want to make a, a show's download bigger because of images, right? You don't want to make it too big. So I try and keep them to like, I don't know, 100, 150 kilobytes or something, which you can do and you can crunch the heck out of those images because really they're never that big. Right, so most of our chapter art is crunched down to like 100 kilobytes because of this. And uh, typically what I use is I just open these images in preview and it's really easy. Like preview will just let you export. It drag the slider down and it's done. Like I don't need to mess around. It's like a super simple process. But for whatever reason, this image, I couldn't get it that small as a JPEG. 
So I clicked, and one of the options I had in preview is to export it as JPEG 2000. I don't Sounds know what really that advanced. is. Yeah, it's like it's, really it's the year 2000. From, from uh, 2000. I, I, I didn't really know what JPEG. I don't know what JPEG 2000 is. I still don't know. But I could make the image smaller with JPEG 2000. So I just did it. Uh, turns out JPEG 2000 breaks basically everything ever in the world. Uh, so never do that. In fact, to the point that to stop this from happening again, Marco has added something into forecast which will now convert images to jpegs or uh, pings i think if they're not yeah uh so that's what happened i felt stupid uh and it's done so what i'm saying is you're a hero i don't know about that you didn't find one bug you found two bugs you found a bug in forecast which should probably have converted that file um and i think marco may have updated forecast now that so it does some file um uh, image image size I compression think, yeah. on on the fly mm-hmm. in order to solve this problem so you wouldn't even need to do this and then a bug in overcast where certain chapter marker file formats uh freak it out and i believe that's going to be fixed in an upcoming version and is already fixed in a beta so you're a hero for finding bugs and uh and exposing them to the world and i believe we uh replaced that file right so if you download it after we discovered yeah, this yeah unfortunately i had to just strip the image out um because yeah. it, there just wasn't an easy way. I tried a bunch of things, and there just wasn't an easy way for me to crunch that file down to a small enough size. Um, so it was gone forever. It was just a picture. I'll put it. I'll put it. In, I'll put it in the show notes because it was from my Instagram. Um, it was a nice picture of me taking a picture of the, the Hamilton logo, and so that was that. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, everybody. I'm sorry for the uh, hassle for <laughs> developers across the world and for listeners what I did. You, you found it, you know, I don't know, You that's like, I think it's a great accomplishment to, after all of this time of podcast app development to find something that chokes the podcast app is pretty impressive. Anyway, my point is, just wait for JPEG 3000. It'll be way better. Yeah, then I'll get, then I'll really get what I need. JPEG mm-hmm. 3000. It's coming any mm-hmm. day now. Alright, well, we, have an, we have an action-packed show today. Uh, I guess first we should say, surprise, the HomePod has arrived. So, on the last episode, we predicted that the HomePod would come late because of AirPlay 2. Well, Apple did something very surprising in that AirPlay 2 is delayed, as we were told, right? And we're, cor- we're correct about that, that AirPlay 2 is not ready. But Apple decided to just release the HomePod anyway. Um, pre-orders right, are with available. No stereo pairing, no yep. uh, multi-room stuff. None of that is there. A lot there of the really big features have just been just been pulled out until later to a, to an undefined period of time. Uh, pre-orders went available last Friday, and they're available for delivery and pickup on February 9th in the US, the UK, and Australia. Um, mm. It's coming. It's expanding a little bit wider to France and Germany later on this year. I assume you bought yep. one. I did buy one. Um, I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna write about it, so I kind of have to have one. Um, but I'm interested in it. I think there might be a place. I'm an Apple Music subscriber, so I think there might be a place for it in my life, um, somewhere in my living room. That is, because right now I've got Sonos connected up to my speakers, but to get that on, you gotta like turn on the receiver and then open an app and play something. And if I've got a HomePod lurking somewhere in my living room, uh, that might be a better experience. But I, you know, I I probably wouldn't have bought it right away if I was gonna, um, if I was just a civilian. But since I'm, I also want to be knowledgeable about it and and talk about it and write about it. I I need to have it. So yeah. 
I had no and still have no real interest in having a HomePod in my life. Um, and I decided I wasn't going to buy one. But but I have ordered one. <laughs> the reason I have ordered one... I took a twist. <laughs> the reason I have ordered one, and I fully expect that I will be returning this product. The reason I have ordered this product is because of the last four or five days. Where Apple has announced that a product is going to be available. And have basically not really given any information about it. They've been doing these weird demos again, but still not letting people like control the product to the way that they want to. So uh, Serenity Caldwell, who is a host of Query and Relay FM and writes at iMore, she had some hands-on time with the HomePod, and there was an episode of Query, episode 23, where her and Stephen talk about her experiences in detail. And the way that it was being presented and the way that Rem was explaining it, it was still in a controlled environment with select songs and so, like like some of the actions were just being done by the person who who was demoing it for her i feel like this is a weird product that could potentially be a very bad product that apple is maybe trying to skirt around that's kind of my take on some of this like it's weird what they're doing right now with the, with the whole launch of this product is very strange and it's compelled me to get one to see what the situation is would you agree? Hmm. Like it's all very peculiar the way that they're yeah. doing this. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I mean, who knows exactly what happened behind the scenes? I mean, who mm-hmm. knows? People at inside Apple know. We have to speculate. I think it's clear that this product rollout is not happening the way Apple would have wanted. Right? Yep. They delayed it. They dropped features out of it. Uh, there was a long gap between when they announced it and when it was even supposedly shipping. Nobody has reviewed one. It seems like nobody has got one. Like, it seems very peculiar. Right. They did another listing party uh, Serenity went to, another one of these secluded grottos <laughs> like yep. at WWDC, um, where they could talk to it and look at it this time. They didn't have to just avert their eyes and listen. Um Still using some of the same demo music, which I find funny. Somebody at Apple really likes that live version of Hotel California because apparently they're still playing that because I got that and, and Serenity got that too. So big some Eagles closet fan Eagles there. fan in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I no, know, that's not, right? That's not closet adjacent. They're making everybody no, listen I guess to it. No, I guess they're pretty far out there if they're <laughs> like, you will keep the, the Eagles in the demo, okay? The, so, uh, can you imagine uh, they, the pitch session for that, Mike? Mike, okay, here's, here's what happens in the HomePod room. On a dark desert highway. Nope, nope. We're not going to do a dramatic <laughs> reading of go, whoever you are, unnamed Apple executive. Go back in your corner. We'll play the Hotel California live. Just, you know, you can uh, check out every, anytime you like, but you can never leave. We got it. We got it. We got it. I can feel like I can never leave this meeting. Stop talking about it. Anyway, um, so it is, it's weird. It's just, it's weird. And yep. I think some of it is... The question is, how weird is it from our perspective and how weird is it inside of Apple? Because like, if this is Apple going off the playbook and forcing things that they're not ready for and all of that, I guess that's a little bit worrying. At the same time, um, a lot of stuff seems troubled and from the outside. And in fact, it might be kind of like uh, complicated and troubled on the inside. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. No, it, it just means it, that it there really were issues. It just be poorly communicated. Um, yeah. 
because I just feel like there are lots of questions that are taking a very long time to answer. Like, I feel like the last five days has been a constant battle from journalists to understand if you have to be an Apple Music subscriber to use this product. It turns out now that it looks like, again, no one's 100% sure that you can use iTunes Match with iCloud Music Library and it's fine. You don't have to subscribe to Apple Music. Like, but, yeah, but that that is that's exciting. That that is a really nice thing that we didn't know for sure. That if you if all you've got yes. is a lot of music in iTunes iTunes like i music library cloud music library, you should be able to access that even if you're not an Apple Music person. But it still feels like everyone's like we were like ninety percent sure this is the case. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like anyone can really. Be it sounds like, like Ren this got that happening. got that today. Maybe got that okay. confirmation. Um, I think she's gotten it now, and it makes sense, right? It's basically like it seems to me that there is one uh, way that iTunes and the music app look into the cloud and say, "What music do I have?" And it's it's kind of the same for Apple Music and for iTunes in the cloud, or at least it's very similar. And so it makes sense that they would do that. Um, there's still questions about like if it's a track that you uploaded, how good is the access going to be uh, via voice? Uh, is that all, stuff all indexed and understandable? Um, on download last week, uh, Kirk McElhern brought up like he has a lot of classical music. So how does he give Siri a command to play a particular classical piece from a particular orchestra or album or whatever and will that do the right thing or will it get really confused and you know these are these are open questions about Mm -hmm. like how that's all going to work when we when we get this thing but i'm i'm really interested by all accounts it sounds great and i mean it sounded great when i heard it too so i'm kind of looking forward to see how the the secret sauce of uh apple processing the audio and then throwing it out to those seven different tweeters and trying to create kind of a, a you know directional sound and throwing things off of walls and stuff like that like how much how much work did they put in that uh, how good does it sound cuz that in in the end i think this product kind of uh, succeeds or fails based mostly on if it's a really good speaker for that price because if they can't do that um, for that price, I mean that's that's a price of a good sounding speaker, not a rudimentary speaker with a really fun uh, voice assistant around it. So that it's going to live or die based on that one. And then you know the fact is they can the rest of it they can fix with software and service updates. So um, if they can get it out there and it sounds good and it doesn't have to be a huge hit, something that we all have to keep in mind is everybody wants a brand new Apple product to be a huge hit right out of the gate, and it isn't always like. You know, the Apple Watch has really grown and changed in the last couple of years. And uh, the iPod took a couple of years to get right because they, they had to update it and, and make it work on Windows and figure it all out. And the slow build is fine. So HomePod's a good place to start. Yeah, so I'm I'm keen to see what this product actually turns out to be like. I want to see what it's like if I connect it to my Apple TV and what that experience is like. Yeah, I, I've become keen to see what it looks like. I still don't think I, I particularly want it. Um, and honestly, I think that it might just be something that I spend a week with and return. I I just don't think I will want to replace my echoes with it, but I want to see because there is a shroud of mystery around it, which is intriguing me. So, right. Uh, we have some, uh, Hamilton follow up. First off, it sounds like you got more, did you buy more Hamilton tickets, Mike? Yeah. I bought more Hamilton tickets today. We're going again (laughs) in September. 
Okay, good. That's good. Um, I had a couple people who who wrote in to tell me something that is absolutely true. I was talking about how Lin-Manuel Miranda talks about how Hamilton is an immigrant story. And one of his sources of inspiration is his dad who moved from Puerto Rico to New York. Um, and I had several people point out Puerto Rico is part of the United States, which it absolutely is. Um, I wish there were a word for uh, that was not that was not immigration, but was something different for coming a very long way from a very different cultural location to another place, but it's still part of the same country because that's really the story of Lin Manuel Miranda's dad. It's also, I think, the story of Alexander Hamilton because I believe that uh, the Caribbean island he was on uh, was uh, a British possession, just like the U.S. was when he came to America. So he wasn't, you know, really technically immigrating to a new country, emigrating, immigrating, depending on your perspective. Uh, But anyway, the point is, and it's something that every American should know already after what happened with the hurricane, Puerto Rico is part of the United States. They're U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico. Um, they, They are not some foreign country that's sending their people into the U.S. They're actually Americans. And that was worth mentioning again. I, you know, despite the fact that, you know, that, that movement of people from Puerto Rico to uh, New York City, especially, is uh, is deep in uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's mind and his family history and was on his mind when he was writing about Hamilton. So, uh, But thanks to the people for pointing that out. And it's worth saying again, because not enough people actually know that Puerto Rico is the United States. So there it is. Good clarification. Uh, last piece of follow-up today. Uh, messages in iCloud has returned in the 11.3 beta. Um, but it is not being promoted by Apple in their press release. So there was a press release for 11.3 last week, which added more ARKit stuff, some Animoji stuff, some health record stuff. Um, right. And it's 11.3 will also have the battery in it. By the way, we talked about this last time. I love that Apple's doing this because this is... So Apple releases these betas and all the sites that cover Apple write about them and what's in them. They tear them apart and they say, oh, it does this, it does this. And I know I said this last time, but I'm going to say it again. This is one of those things where there was this old kind of like pretend agreement, which was this is secret and Apple would pretend like it wasn't happening and everybody would report it anyway. Yeah. And somebody at Apple has decided, why are we letting, you know, MacRumors.com break stories about what's in our new software? Mm-hmm. Why are we not doing that ourselves? Why, why do we not control this story? And, oh, God, I mean, they should have done this a long time ago, but I'm so happy that somebody did that. So now when they're coming out with a new developer beta with a bunch of new features in it, they they put out a press release and say, new Animoji, and this other thing is happening, and this other thing is happening. Uh, so so big thumbs up for that. This What's interesting about the, the messages in the cloud stuff is that that's absolutely being pitched as, like, it's not in the press release, and it's like, we're returning this to testing. And that goes back to our conversations a while ago about like, you don't want to screw this up, right? You don't want to turn on messages in the cloud to every iOS user and discover that it's destroyed people's messages archive, right? You don't want to do that. So they tested it in the iOS 11 beta and then they're like, yeah, okay, it's not ready. And they took it out. And I think by not putting it in the press release, what they're saying is, no, no, seriously, we've brought it back for testing, we're not committing to release it with 11.3. Let's see how it goes, but try it out. 
and uh, I think that's I think that's really smart. I, so I, I like I like this whole this whole story here. I like that they're not promoting it because there's clearly a lack of confidence in it being. You know, they they already made this mistake of saying iOS 11, and then yeah, maybe not. Uh, why do that again if you're if you're unsure? But but they're still using the beta process to try it out and see if they can get it locked down before they release it to everyone else because that would be really bad if it didn't work right. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's I think it's cool and I think that it's cool that the new Animoji too. I I think that's a a, a complaint that we had a lot about the iOS 10 messages improvements and and came up with iOS 11, which is one of the ways for them to keep people interested in their updates and interested in these features is to continue doing it's almost like dlc for games it's like content releases like adding new emoji which they can't control they're kind of up to what is going on with the emoji sub subcommittee of unicode but they can still do some of that um, but the animoji stuff they completely control like what you know a little carrot to get people to update is why can't i send a lion message or a skull or whatever and the answer is well just go to 11.3 and you'll be able to do that it's smart yeah so that's a bunch of stuff coming and uh, yeah. messages in iCloud is back in back in testing again which is a good sign testing and hopefully experimental because again it's like I, and I think Apple's <laughs> doing the right thing they couldn't get it right for the original release maybe they still won't so that's why they're not promoting it as the thing uh, but yeah, 11.3 also has the battery stuff in it, but that isn't in the developer beta or the public beta right now. I think that's going to be coming in a, in a future iteration of this beta period. All right, today's show is brought to you in part by Simple Contacts. Look, it's really awesome when an app that you have takes away a tiresome task and makes something fuss-free. That's why we love apps, right? Because apps make our life easier. Simple Contacts does this by being an easy way to renew your contact lens prescription. You'll be able to reorder your contacts from anywhere in just minutes. Now, wouldn't that, you know, that's great on its own, right? The ability to be able to have an app on your phone and order a refreshment of your contact prescription. But what about if an app that you use on your phone can give you a vision test? That's what Simple Contacts does. All you need to do is complete their online self-guided vision test, which takes us in five minutes from wherever you are. No more need to go to doctor's offices. No more waiting around in waiting rooms. You can order your favorite contacts right from their website or the app. They offer all of the lens brands that you love with options for astigmatism, multifocal lenses, colored lenses, and more. You'll be able to order exactly what you want, what you need right from the palm of your hand anytime. Their vision tests cost just $20. Now, for comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you over $200. So it's significantly cheaper, and it saves you a bunch of hassle and time. This is obviously not a replacement for your full periodic eye health exam, but it's a great way to make sure that you're getting the right thing for you when you're ordering your prescriptions. Now, Jason, I believe that you have taken this vision test. I have. Uh, it was super simple. Uh, you put it, use it on your iPhone or your iPad, and it tells you to set it up for a certain distance, and you step through it, and uh, and it's super easy and fast. And what they're really just trying to do is verify that you are not, you know, you don't you don't have any big vision problems that they because they don't want to they they don't want to be your eye doctor for your regular visits. They just want to make sure that your vision is okay to continue doing a reorder. Of, yeah, and like uh, nothing's your... changed, right? Which is, yeah, which is exactly a great thing right. to do. And so using the camera and uh, the screen of a mobile device is uh, is a very clever way of doing that. 
As a listener of this show, you can get $30 off your contact lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com slash ahoy, or you can enter ahoy at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com slash A-H-O-Y, ahoy, or simply use the code ahoy for $30 off. We thank Simple Contacts for their support of this show. All right. So, upstream time. Uh, chapter artwork is still coming. We're hoping to have that set by next week, so there will be a beautiful new chapter artwork for you. Uh, but I have a selection, a plethora of media-related news. So, if you remember when we were talking about Fox and Disney, there was a question uh, kind of outstanding about the fact that Rupert Mur- Murdoch uh, was going to be buying Sky Television in the UK. Um, but regulators in this country have blocked this purchase, um, believing that it would give the Murdoch family too much control over news outlets, because obviously as well as Fox News, they own a bunch of newspapers as well, and that this would give them basically a monopoly on the news. Um, If this regulator is able to completely stop the sale, they've blocked it for now, and it's pending further investigation, this would also mean that Disney won't pick up Sky when they make their purchase. And the regulators are considering that Disney are involved in this, um, but they're still not very happy about the fact that the Murdoch family will get it in case the Disney deal doesn't go through. And then they're allowing it to happen because, oh, Disney will have it. It's not the Murdochs. But then the Disney deal doesn't go through and then the Murdochs have got it and they don't want that. So this isn't over yet, but it's not looking very likely um, that Sky will be able to fall under Disney in the future. Right. It's interesting. Uh, there's going to be regulatory scrutiny of this deal uh, mm-hmm. all over the place. And so the details, I, I, I don't think this is going to change, like break the deal, but it, it will change permutations of the deal, it seems. In Europe, it is not it is not unheard of. Like we, we, a couple of years ago, a bunch of the mobile phone networks were buying each other. And one of the big ones was a company called 3 buying a company called O2. And the regulator stopped it, wouldn't let it happen. Like, it was basically a done deal, and they were just like, nope. Would it have been, like, 05? <laughs> 302, I think, is what they were going for. <laughs> oh, uh, boy. But, but no, they weren't really. They were just going to keep it all. It was all going to be rebranded to three. But yeah, the regulators, they st- stepped in, and they were like, no, it, it reduces too much choice, and they killed the deal. So we'll see. You never know. Uh, Damien Chazelle. You may not know that name, but Damien was the writer and director of La La Land, which was a very popular movie last year. Um, Damien is the most recent individual to sell a series to Apple. It is a drama series, and the subject matter is being kept a secret for now, which is peculiar. Uh, Chazelle will be joining up with a couple of executive producers from La La Land on a new project. Um, It is interesting because Chazelle also has already landed a deal with Netflix to produce a musical TV drama series called The Eddie. So that is two series orders happening in two different companies. Remember, there was a time when uh, movie and TV didn't cross over, but this is an example where this guy gets this Oscar-nominated slash winning film, and he's like, all right, TV money now. Now (laughs) I need to know where the real money is. It's weird, isn't it? And and the nature of his deals is fascinating. So he makes this deal with Netflix, which is he's going to create and produce a musical TV drama series the eddie so the upgrade cannot be far behind <laughs> and he's going to write and direct the first two episodes i think is a part of that deal yeah the apple deal where we don't know anything about it but that deal he's going to write and direct every, every episode yeah. so if i'm netflix i'm like oh oh 
So, you know, like he's got a, a better deal, but he's also got this deal. So he's now dealing with these two competitors. It's really interesting. But uh, it is another one we were talking about, like Apple being interested in the J.J. Abrams sci-fi series, which we haven't heard any more about, um, and being worried that there was going to be like, it's a little too too much sci-fi and you want to get a little more content diversity in your offering. Here's an example of they're going, unless the writer and director of La La Land is creating a science fiction series. It seems unlikely. You never, maybe it's a musical science fiction series. <laughs> musical, drama, um, sci-fi. It's all they want. Just sci-fi, sci-fi, right. sci-fi. Oh, no. It would be terrible if that Apple executive came into the room and said, how about Hotel California? <laughs> I have a great song for you. <laughs> no, no. Let's get out of it. Get out back to your HomePod room. Um, anyway, so this is, this is pres- presumably um, adding another, another piece to the uh, the Apple content library that's not, you know, that's that's in, in another area. Because you just want to have, and I'm not saying they have slots or anything, because it's going to be what the projects are that come by them that they're interested in. Yep. But I think, you know, having things with different appeal to different groups so that, that the service as a whole has, has broader appeal, that there's going to be one or two things in it that you're going to be interested in, that's part of what they're putting together. So this is another piece of that. And finally, uh, YouTube megastar and filmmaker Casey Neistat has left CNN. Um, Neistat created a company called Beam, which was purchased by CNN in 2016. Uh, Beam was an app and technology company, but they were going to CNN to also create content. And Neistat was going to be creating a news show uh, with CNN. They, they created a YouTube channel and it was getting on its way. But now that has all been shut down. Uh, the deal in 2016 was reportedly worth $25 million. It's not really known about the break, like the breakup of that, like how that was, whether it was stock or cash or whatever. Uh, Beam, the uh, app and the technology and the YouTube channel, it, it seems, is all going to be shutting down with a portion of the team and their technology being absorbed into CNN. Uh, for now, Neistat is going to be focusing primarily on his YouTube channel. Um, and a quote from Casey Neistat to BuzzFeed News, um, I, I really like this quote, actually. He says, uh, I don't think I'm giving CNN what I want to give them, and I don't think they're getting value from me. And that's why he left, that it just wasn't the right fit for anybody. Um, so he's he's stepping away and he's going to be pursuing other projects. So it's uh, it's interesting. I, I does he uh, does he take his twenty five million with him or was that I, I this no, is one of the questions I nothing, always had. There is nothing said about that. My expectation yeah. from how these deals are done is whatever money he had, he won't get because these contracts are usually written that you have to stay there for a certain period of time to get your payout. Um, yeah, there may I mean, or or there's an initial payout, and then there's yeah, uh, then further there's like payouts. The rest of it is later over time. So Who so knows? we don't know the details, but it's possible no. that there was like an option point here where you know he may have just said, "Look, I don't want you to pay me anymore. I'm we let's stop this." It's also possible that CNN went to them, went to him, and was like, "You know, we really this is not working." But either way, yeah, like twenty five million dollar deal, but for his year plus, how how much did Casey? Neistat walk away from we don't yeah. know it is possible they had a break point because uh Neistat had a co-founder his name was Matt Hackett and he also left so they're both gone um Interesting. so it may have been who knows the what why or how but it's done they've gone they've moved the one they moved them so I'm interested I mean I'm a big fan of Casey Neistat um I think that he's his work is incredible um I wasn't particularly blown, like really, uh, like involved in the beam stuff that they were making, like the news stories. It just wasn't really my my cup of tea. Um, and at least the YouTube numbers would suggest that that may have been the problem for a lot of people. So this may have been one issue 
that they just weren't seeing the results. So CNN took a gamble. Didn't look, doesn't look like it really paid off for them. Okay, so that's upstream. Uh, we're now going to talk about something that is becoming a yearly tradition because you do it every year, which means I want to talk to you about it every year, which is the Six Colors Report Card. Jason, what is the Six Colors Report Card? Six Colors Report Card. Uh, so three years ago, um, Koi Vin, the, the, um, the web designer, uh, or designer, I should say, came to me and said, I have this idea and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think somebody should do it, which is do a poll, do a survey of a bunch of people who follow Apple and about like a report card of how Apple did the previous year, like an end of the year kind of survey. And I I said, that sounds like a good idea. He actually came to me like the middle of of the year or something and said this. And I was like, yeah, let me think about it and I'll get back to you in December or January. Uh, and so I decided I would do it. And so I've done that for the last three years. So this is the third one. And I went this year to about 75 different people in the Apple observing world, writers, podcasters, developers, um, and asked them to fill out a, a survey with a bunch of different categories and rate Apple's year 2017 one to five and also put in comments about each category that I was asking them about. And uh, that's the Six Colors Report Card. I don't vote in it. Um, I just let them say get their say out. And, and so I think it's useful in the sense of getting uh, a broad sense of what the, you know, kind of what the vibe is in terms of how people who observe Apple are feeling about Apple. And seeing now how that feeling has changed year to year because I've, I've left the categories the same for all three years. So you can actually track... Uh, sort of the changes in attitude over time. And I'm not saying that it's like definitive in any way. It really is a measure of how Apple observers are mm -hmm. feeling about Apple. Um, I think there's something to be gleaned from that, um, even though I think you could argue that there aren't going to be a lot of surprises because you've spent a year picking up on everybody's comments about what's going on at Apple, right? And and if that's the if that's the feeling for the year, then an assessment of sentiment at the end of it is going to reflect it, and and it certainly did this year. Yeah, whilst there aren't surprises as such, there are interesting things where the comments in some categories seem much harsher than the grade. And I want to get into some of that with you is to try and work out why some of that has happened. Well, you know, some people give uh, give uh, something a five and other people give something a one. And what I didn't do is pull out like, this is what they scored this category, which I thought about doing. <laughs> yeah. But that was kind of a lot of work and I didn't want to do it. So I thought about it, though. So it's like Rob Griffiths gave this a two and this is why he's grumpy. But I didn't do that. Okay, so I uh, I submitted grades. You have my grades because I've forgotten I what grades I gave. So you can tell me them as we go through. Um, I didn't submit any comments because I saved those for now with you. Uh, but I also want to, as we go through each of these categories, I would like to know what you would grade, like what your score would be if you were if you were filling it out, like just to try and get a feel for your personal feeling in each of these categories. Um, and then I wanted to pull out some of the interesting comments that I found um, in the in the article that you posted, and we can sure. talk a little bit about each of these categories. So uh, it starts with probably the most contentious, which is the Mac. Um, so this year in 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 twenty seventeen, so in the twenty seventeen report report card. 
uh, the Mac graded with C uh, with the average score of 2.9. This is up from a C minus last year. Uh, where would you score the Mac for 2017? It's a tough one. I, I probably would answer something like three. Okay. Um, and that I think was the most common score and it's about what the average score is. The, um, yeah, I mean, it, it last 2016 was a, a tougher year for the Mac. Uh, 2017 though, we got promise of a better future. And a lot of the people who filled out the survey filled it out when the iMac Pro hadn't started shipping yet because it was sort of fielding, the survey was fielding in mm-hmm. mid-December to early January. And so a lot of them filled it out right away and were like, well, we haven't seen the iMac Pro yet. And then we saw the iMac Pro and I got an iMac Pro before the end of the year. And I was like, yay, hooray. And that made the Mac kind of brighter for me, uh, the year in the Mac. But, um, there's a lot of questions about the Mac's future and there's a lot of commitments from Apple, but we haven't seen all the results of those commitments. So I think that in looking at, at all the comments that came in, I think there's a feeling like they're not going to, they're not going to rate Apple up for saying that they're going to change, um, that they want to see the changes. They want to see the Mac pro ship. They want to see products get updated before they kind of upgrade the scores there. So I think that's going on. Um, and yeah, so, uh, you know, it was a, uh, I guess there's a lot of keyboard angst too. laptop keyboard. angst. Yeah, that, that is definitely a part of it too. That's a little bit more specific later on. Like when we talk about yeah. hardware in general, um, yeah. what was my score? What did I grade? You gave it a three. Yeah. So that's, that isn't, that's, that is, that is unsurprising from, from past Mike. I, I think that a, a three is good. Um, I think I would have given it way less last year. Like I understand that the the product releases haven't been incredible, you know, for the most of the year. You know, the iMac Pro was great, but but on the whole, people were kind of upset about a not an amazing revision again with the with the MacBook Pro. People were hoping for more fixes, and the keyboard was revised, but didn't really seem to do much. Um, I was interested in seeing in the article that whilst there were most people were unhappy, there were varying levels of unhappiness. And the most unhappy person is Rob Griffiths, um, who is a former colleague this, of yours at Mac. This is this is generally the case. Rob is is grumpy okay. a lot. Rob said, "Tim can say whatever he wants, but the evidence to date is that Apple doesn't care about the Mac very much at all," um, which is a very strong statement. Uh, I found a, I found some hope from John Syracuse, uh, who said Apple's apologetic recommitment to Pro Max in April is a big step in the right direction. And this is the thing for me where I am really hanging on with believing that things are going to get better because this isn't something that Apple do. Like they don't they don't come out and apologize for a commitment to a product line. Like this was a this was a this was a first. This isn't a thing that they do. And I genuinely believe that this public change of course is only going to continue throughout the next couple of years to see real improvement in the Mac. And I think that the iMac Pro was the clear beginning of that, right? I think that that is kind of undeniable. People were very, very happy with that machine. And that's what happens when you push and, and make it a real thing. So I think that they ma- I think they made a real commitment, a real change, and being very open about that, I think that's been great. Yeah, and, and it's weird because, you know, I don't have any rules for this. It's like literally share your feelings. Yep. Um, I think I think it's the right decision to say, I'm glad that, as John said, you know, it's a step in the right direction. It's an apologetic 
recommitment. Mm -hmm. I think it's right to say that's good, but I want to see them walk the walk before I, you know, truly elevate the the score here. I think there's a lot of anticipation where people want to score the Mac higher because they feel like maybe Apple's attitude here has really changed and they, they did that unusual recommitment, um, but that they're not all the way there yet. The highest scoring product or category was the iPhone. Um, the yeah. iPhone was graded an A with an average score of 4.4. Last year was hovering between a B plus and an A minus. So there has been improvement um, in the iPhone. Uh, I would say that for me, it's it's funny. I feel like there should be a bigger improvement shown in the numbers than there actually is because the jump year on year has been more significant than like a B plus to an A. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a straight A from like a B plus A minus. So mm-hmm. it is, I mean, the scores, the scores definitely did go up. You gave this a five. Yeah. I would give this a five. Um, the iPhone 10 is great. And the iPhone 8 is pretty good too. Yeah. So it's a pretty good year for the iPhone. Like they're, they're, they didn't update the iPhone SE and, and I want them to do that soon. But like they, they managed to ship two, three really. Uh, top of the line models mm-hmm. this year, and uh, you know, pushed the old line forward a bit, and then also came out with this completely new device that they were able to ship in quantity, and that is really good. And Face ID works. All of these things is a pretty good. I mean, if if you're not going to give the iPhone <laughs> a five in 2017, I don't know when you're going to give you're it never a five. Gonna, a five yeah. Like this is no. you know, this is the, one of the best years there has ever been. You know, I would yeah. I would say you know you got the original, the four, and this. Yeah, and uh, I did have some complaints. Um, for the record, uh, only inter- only integer ratings are allowed. Dan Frakes from the Wirecutter, who I used to work with at MacWorld, kept writing in his comments. I was going through editing the comments, and there was a lot of I would have given this three and a half if I could have. And like <laughs> you can't, Dan. You're not he allowed. He just wants Pick. you to know. He really wants you to know. There were some great comments uh, yeah. um, in the iPhone. One of my favorites was from Joe Kissel, and he says, "iPhone 10 baby is everything I could possibly <laughs> have asked for in a 2017 smartphone." I could have put in like 20 of those. There were a lot of people who were like, come on, iPhone 10. <laughs> Stephen Hackett, the iPhone 10, simply put, feels like a new generation of phones from Apple. And Carolina, Carolina uh, Milanese says, uh, I really think no other company would be, have been able to implement a core UI change like Face ID and make it feel like the most natural thing you've ever used, which is a beautiful way of putting it because that is uh-huh. so true. Um, it is wonderful. I am very intrigued to see how this category scores next year. Like, yeah, now what? Because we're all very excited about the wonder of the iPhone 10, but next year is vital, right? We were talking about this last time, like how do they keep the momentum going? What does the line look like? And I would say, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw this, but we got some criticism, which is completely correct uh, from last week's episode, from people that like smaller phones, right? So like people in the SE category or people that like currently like the iPhone 6 size, it's looking like phones for people that like those sizes are kind of going to get left in the dust a little bit and that the most that they might get is like, here's a new processor for you. Like, what what happens to those phones? And I'm interested to see how that changes over time. Like, if all phones are trending larger and larger and larger and then there's kind of old phones or phones of older technology kept around at the small level... It seems, you know, it's like, why, why, if you like a small phone, you have to have an old phone 
Um, so that I, I'm interested to see how that kind of thinking goes over the next couple of years if Apple continues the course that they're currently on. The people that like small phones either get a bigger phone or get an old phone. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what happens there. But yeah, the iPhone graded an A was not very surprising. Um, not very surprising. No, it's just you, you. You make a good point. What what comes next? What what's the next act for the iPhone? Yep. But uh, yeah. But they did the fact that they had this ambitious plan and that they executed it. Um, and and we'll see what happens. I mean, there could be some sort of you know security problem or hardware problem or i mean there's lots of different things that could go wrong where they could have a a kind of underwhelming refresh in the fall who knows but uh but for 2017 like that it was a good iphone year all all things considered it was a it was a really good iphone i I love my iphone 10 so much i still do i I absolutely love that phone i love it me too i had somebody ask me uh, a friend of mine asked me last night we went out to dinner um and and lauren's got her iphone 8 and i've got my iphone 10 and he has a 6 i think and he was saying well so why you know why why would you get the 10 instead of the 8 and i said look it's really nice it's the most expensive one you probably don't need it but it's really nice and lauren said um i really like the iphone 8 and i said the iphone 8 is great like it's one of those funny things where i really like the iphone 10 the iphone 8 is also great and the iphone 10 you know is you paying extra to get this thing that's from the future a little bit and you know that's it's not for everybody but it's really good i mean that's the that's the thing about it is is it's really good so good year for the iphone today's show is also brought to you by pdf pen from smile pdf pen equips you with everything that you need for more powerful pdf editing it's the ultimate tool for editing pdfs and going paperless start the new year right and get your documents in order oh man it's like it's it's big old tax time in the UK right now, Jason. It's uh, it's big old tax time. So there's lots of documents flying all over the place. Lots of things that need to be signed and taken care of. And with PDF Pen, you can split and combine multiple PDF documents to send just the right things to the people who need them. You can fill in PDF forms, whether they're interactive or not. It doesn't matter. PDF Pen can handle it. You can add page numbers, redact account information, or even perform OCR on scanned documents. And if you're looking for something in particular, you can find and highlight all instances of the specific terms you can go in and fix what you need to. And when PDFs need a small fix like correcting a typo, you can use PDF Pen to do it. This feature is so handy, it saves you from creating an entirely new PDF just to make a little amendment. And the new PDF Pen 3 is tailor-made for iOS 11. You get all the great benefits of PDF Pen right from your iPhone or iPad. You also got the option to set up PDF Pen Pro to create PDF portfolios So you can create collections of multiple PDFs with related files, which is great for presenting those year-end documents. I was using PDF Pen Pro on my Mac just before we were recording today with Jason. I was just finishing up a contract and just dropped it into PDF Pen, signed it, sent it off. It would be so tricky and difficult for me to get that done otherwise. I have a printer right here, and I never want to turn that printer on to sign a document. I just do it with PDF Pen instead. If you're thinking about trying PDF Pen, now's the time to do it. They've added over 100 enhancements with the release of PDF Pen 9. Get organized this year. Go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast now to see what PDF Pen can do for you and tell them that you heard about them from this show. Thank you so much to PDF Pen from Smile for their support. Of upgrade and relay fm that's smilesoftware.com slash podcast to find out more so we move on to the ipad the ipad was graded an a minus with an average score of 4.1 last year was a b plus so another increase 
Yeah, and I think not too surprising, right? We get the 10.5 iPad Pro, we get the new cheaper iPad, and we get an update to the 12.9 model too. We also got iOS 11 features that were focused on the iPad. So again, like, oh, and uh, and sales turned around, right? iPad sales turned around. Mm-hmm. So I would argue, again, that uh, this was a really good year for the iPad, like, the only reason I think you don't give it a five out of five here is because you you want to see it continue to grow. You want you want a uh, you know even more growth in the iPad category. But uh, given what the last few years have been for the iPad, this was a good this was a really good year. So what are those scores? Scores and the doors. The uh, you gave it a five. And what did you what do you what would you give it? I I, I mean yeah I think it's a four or a five uh, something like that. It was a, it was a really good year. Um, I was very happy that the the twelve nine got updated and and yeah I mean yeah it's it's just a question like I said about whether you you're holding the five back for the year that the iPad conquers the world <laughs> or not because it was a very good year for this product. See, this this is why I I did it. It's like what am I holding for? Like I couldn't have asked for more yeah. from the iPad than what I got this year. I think this is the best year we could realistically have hoped at the end of last year yep. for the iPad. Yeah, that, and that, is, so, that is exactly yeah. how I think about this grading, is to grade it within the context, right? Like, within the context of 2017, what could I have realistically asked for from the iPad? Well, I got all of those things. Like, everything that I could have realistically wanted, I got. Like, I can't imagine getting a better year than we got, especially in the last six months, than what they gave us. Like, it, I, I feel like it would just be holding back the points for the sake of it. Um, so some of the quotes, one comes from you, Jason. Uh, this was a bounce back year for the iPad as new hardware and improved sales gave Apple's larger iOS device a shot in the arm, which is very nicely put. Federico Vitici, of course, I had to read Federico. Uh, mm. Apple didn't disappoint with the 2017 iPad Pros. Quite frankly, after the lack of updates in 2016, they absolutely delivered with a refreshed 12.9-inch model and the new 105 the combination of iOS 11 and the new iPad Pros was a great year for the iPad. Now let's hope we won't have to wait another two years for updates on hardware and software. Uh, James mm-hmm. T. Green said, this is the year that the iPad has become my new general purpose computer. Um, and to kind of back that up a little bit, Marco Ahmed said the 10.5-inch iPad Pro is the best all-round iPad ever made. I completely agree with Marco. And I think that that 10.5 is really what's pushing people like James, and I see this more and more every day, to consider the iPad as much more serious in their computing life, um, which is exactly what this product is being aimed to do. And and I think that this was the year that they really made some significant jumps and advancements um, in making the iPad a more general purpose computer for more and more people. Yep. So we move on to the Apple Watch, graded A- minus of an average score of 4.0 last year at a B. What's your score, Jason? Uh, well, you know what? I think I have to say again, um, this is a 4 or a 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I'd go more four here because while this was a very good year for the Apple Watch, getting LTE, uh, having the new version, having a, a watchOS update that was fine, although not, uh, not not enormous, but it was fine. I think we're aware of some of the limitations of Apple Watch that didn't get addressed in watchOS, like podcast support, for example. Um, that is frustrating that the the now that the LTE stuff is there there's this feeling um that 
apps need to be rethought, that the old approach to apps that sort of stems from the original conception of apps, that they need to be rethought again and be more independent, and that the OS is not entirely up to the task right now. So there's still some issues there, but still, I think it was a a good year. So I would say a a four, and you gave it a four. To back up what you were saying uh, from James Thompson, the software is still holding things back. Uh, I don't get the impression that third-party apps are gaining traction, even though the devices are a lot faster, which makes them uh, more feasible to to use. I completely agree with what you said and what James says. The, The hardware is becoming better and better at an increasing rate but there doesn't really seem to be a lot going on in the software department. Um, and I think that this is one of the problems with that, right? That the software isn't good enough. The apps aren't good enough. What is what is this product meant to do? Um, from Jessica Dennis, the new hardware plus the incremental watchOS improvements have made the Apple Watch a truly good piece of kit, which I agree with, right? Like it is, and, and the scores show it. This is the only platform in your survey so far that has improved year on year because the watch continues right. to improve year on year. But this is way more focused in the hardware and Apple's software is where it's getting better. Um, there hasn't really been a lot of significant change in third-party apps and what's going on there. So that is obviously something that Apple will be trying to address as time goes on. It mm-hmm. may be time to allow people to pay for customization stuff like watch faces. That would sell yeah, really I, well. It, it it feels it's funny where we are. I feel like the the Apple Watch for a product that was so constrained from a hardware perspective, right? Like the idea of like how are they gonna get a whole computer with networking on on your wrist? Like, boy, that's really hard. Well, here it is. They've got it now. Cellular networking, it's all there. Um, this this pretty huge hardware challenge. And if you had told me that in 2017, this would be the hardware on the Apple Watch platform, I would say, well, they got it made. Like, that's it. And it turns out that this is one of those areas, and, and this is a trend a little bit, where you look at it and you say, wow, Apple's hardware designers are doing a better job than their software people are. Mm-hmm. Like, the 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 software and it's not a bad experience i love my apple watch but the software is letting down the apple watch hardware bottom line like you can't you can't overlook it like this hardware is amazing and the software you know for for third party developers and even the stuff that's on it and it's what it's capable of and what it's not capable of uh it's limitations it's not good enough. Like it's not. It's not good enough to take advantage of the amazing work the hardware side has done. So I, that's what we have to like hope for in future watchOS updates is that for them to get up to speed. Because if I was doing watchOS software, I don't think I could point my finger at the hardware people and say it's not us, it's them. It's like nope. That's you know the, the fingers are pointing the other way right now. Apple TV graded C plus, average score three point two. Last year C minus. Yeah, it went up to a C plus. Yay! <laughs> Does this match your thinking? Kind of around the three four level. Uh, yeah, you know, I I get so there's there's two ways to think of this one. One is to say, look, Apple TV four K was late. It's too expensive. Apple TV in general is too expensive. There are other incredibly capable products in this category that are way cheaper, that do everything the Apple TV does, and maybe more other than Apple's exclusive content. You know, AirPlay uh, and uh, and iTunes content. Other than that, like, 
what they're they're the more expensive option that's like behind and less functional the other way to look at it is to say they finally shipped the 4k um and they are making progress uh but you know so i could go i could go either way with with that i i you know so and, and in my mind that's like it's a two or a three and i think i would probably say three because you got to give them a little bit of a clap on the back for actually finally shipping a 4k hdr product and getting 4k hdr content to go with it not just from amazon and netflix but in their in their store and doing the kind of free upgrade of a lot of that free stuff upgrade if you bought it in hd really saved some of the scoring for me here because that was unexpected and a really nice bonus if you if you put down what is too much money for the Apple TV 4K to actually be like, oh, if you have a movie that's now going to be in HDR 4K, we'll give it to you, right? Like yeah. that's that was a that was a real bonus. Yeah, you still gave it two out of five. Because <laughs> I, I think that there's okay. So again, in the context, well, it's all the reasons that I just said, right? It's 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 it's. The, the remote I didn't even put in like there were so many things about how bad the remote is in the in the the text that people typed in so it's like the remote is still bad they didn't they put a ring around it uh that's 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 not it it is still like so much more expensive than its than its competitors and its competitors are cheap and really good and so it feels like one of these apple products that apple's not really putting as much effort into it as they should and that they really just want to kind of skim money from people who are uh so close into their ecosystem that they can't uh that they're not willing to give up the stuff that they bought on iTunes and that, like, they're going to just leverage that to get more money out of them. That, that is, uh, that is one legitimate way to view where the Apple TV is right now. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I gave it the score that it was within the context is looking at the Apple TV as more than just the box. It's also everything that goes around it. And I think that Apple is, is falling significantly behind in many areas because they don't, they have not put out any compelling programming even though they've tried. Um, they should have had some kind of solution before now, whatever it was, right? Whether they should have either been further along than they are with their current television efforts, or they should have been able to somehow c- convince companies to allow them to start streaming and pay for the TV and movies that they currently have. Like, whatever it was Apple was going to do, it's taken them too long to get to the point that they're at right now when all of their competitors have different offerings, right? Like, all of the Amazon stuff is super cheap and they have a great streaming service with their own original content. Netflix doesn't care about having a box. They just get their stuff everywhere and they have the like incredible content, right? Like I just feel like Apple has not gotten far along enough and that what they have got is underwhelming and disappointing in ways that are frustrating. Like how long it took them to get the TV app outside of the US? Like we just got the TV app. Like Why? It doesn't make any sense. Like, I haven't got anything different. The TV app is just the iTunes app and my videos app pushed into one for me. That's kind of all I've got. So, like, you know, I, I feel like that they're really kind of dragging their feet with the product and the overall service. And I hope that with all the news and focus, I mean, we put into this show now on, on what they're doing here, I expect that score to start to increase. But that comes with good content. So... That's kind of my overall feeling on it. Like I use it every day, but I don't really think fondly of it, to be honest. It's mostly okay. Yeah. Because even then, right, the apps that I use on it suck. And that's not necessarily Apple's fault, but they still suck. The YouTube app is so bad. 
Oh, yeah. I'm really happy to be using it instead of the apps that came on my TV because it's a better experience than... The YouTube app built into my TV is better than the YouTube app on the Apple TV. Yeah, that, that's not the case for me. The the uh, Plus, the only way I could watch 4K stuff on uh, Amazon or Netflix was through the TV app. And now that I've attached a 4K box to my TV, I can do that, which is nice. But again, you could also have done that. I could have also done that with an Amazon box or a Roku box mm-hmm. for cheaper. So, yeah. And again, right? I can't watch 4K on YouTube on the Apple TV. Right. Also a frustration. Right. So like, I feel like that the product, whilst I use it every day, it's it's because it's the box that I have. Um, and there are things that are better and it's where all my iTunes purchases are. So and that's the library I built up over the last 10 years. So yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. I think C plus is, is mostly fair. Um, considering the way to think about it. Like, for example, like Glenn Fleischman, he's, he was raving about it. Like, the TV app involving and starting to incorporate more streaming services has made it my increasing, increasingly my go-to location. I'm sure there are many people that feel that way. Cloud services are graded at a B- minus of an average score of 3.4 out of 5. Uh, this is up from a C last year. Jason? Yeah, it's funny. Um, people, it's a long road for people to trust Apple's cloud services. I think that's the short version of what I wrote, which is it keeps going up. Apple keeps getting better. The perception is that Apple's cloud services stuff is better than it was. Um, a lot of the verbatim replies that I got from people were basically saying, well, I don't trust Apple, so I don't use them. Or uh, I've been using them and they've gotten a lot better. Or I've been using them and these got a lot better and these are still not great. But I didn't get a lot of, I tried to use Apple cloud services in 2017 and it was a disaster. I didn't get that. I feel like there are, there are the people who have sworn off them. There are the people who have used them begrudgingly and sparingly. And there are the people who've kind of just embraced them and gone with it. Like uh, David Sparks, I think does all of his stuff with iCloud. Now he moved off of Dropbox for a lot of his stuff. Um, and I think that's I think that's about right. Like I use some, but not all of Apple's cloud services stuff. I feel like they've come a long way, and that it's pretty reliable. And a lot of my complaints about like iCloud Drive are that there are features that iCloud Drive lacks that are in Dropbox. That you know, over time, if they continue to iterate the software stuff attached to iCloud Drive, I might even stop using Dropbox. If it does everything Dropbox does, it doesn't, but it it, it continues to get closer. Um, And the photo library syncing works great. Like I've got issues with like the lack of family sharing. And I've talked about that a lot, but like the actual like trust and reliability for me is pretty high. Like it all works pretty well. I have issues with their pricing structure. The fact that they they had that stupid free tier and then the 99 cent a month tier, which they, they should get rid of and replace with a a more generous free tier because I, I truly believe it's a better user experience and the more people rely on the free tier, the more likely they're going to be willing to spend money on more storage and that they're they're doing it wrong right now. That calculation is off. But in terms of like how the cloud stuff work, when I put this question in two years ago, it was very much a uh, like, oh boy, Apple Cloud, hmm, get out your knives, right? And now it doesn't It doesn't feel like that. I feel like a lot of the people who don't score it well are people who have sworn off of it because of a previous bad experience. 
Yeah, um, to echo some of the negative points you were saying, uh, Aline Sims says, uh, I think that they still have a lot of catching up to do, especially where photos are concerned, which is an interesting point to put in the cloud services area. Uh, she says, I wish they'd at least let people back up their iOS devices as well without paying for extra storage. Yeah, I agree with those points. I think that they're, they're things that a lot of people feel. Um, but I like Stephen Aquino. Uh, he had some really good comments saying, I use Apple Music every day and love it. That is a cloud service completely. Ad- like That makes perfect sense. Apple uh-huh. Pay continues to be magical. Um, and the editorial changes on the App Store have made browsing and learning about new apps a much more enriching experience. And I yep. also, like uh, Stephen, I, I consider all of those things a part of the cloud services. And when you pull those things in as well, that is a much better uh, thought than just like, oh, my backups aren't good, which is true, right? They should have more there. But everything that is now encapsulated in that cloud services bucket, a lot of it's really good. Um, yep. So. So yeah, there there are definitely I agree with you completely, right? A few years ago, this was just like the easy one to get the bad score in. Uh, yeah, but it but it's getting it's getting a lot better now. It's getting a lot it's getting better. better. So credit, and this is the constant question, which is: Do you give them credit for getting better because they were bad before, or do you score them because there are still things that they need to do? Because they're they're in the middle there, right? They're they're in the middle. This has been they have shown a lot of progress. I feel like Apple is getting better at. Uh, cloud stuff all the time uh it in fact most of the issues i have with apple's cloud stuff is features that they haven't implemented in software which i'm not sure is the fault of the cloud reliability right and their their pricing policies which again not the fault of the service itself it's sort of apple's approach to it so um, those are all fixable if apple wants to fix them but uh so yeah, I think it's I think the cloud stuff has gone well. I, I this is a better than expected for me. I feel like the Apple Cloud Services stuff has gone gone a lot better than I would have thought. Let's talk about HomeKit. Uh graded yeah. at a C minus, average score of two point seven. Uh, last year was a D plus. <laughs> Brought that grade up from D plus to C minus. No. Did anything drop? So I think software quality dropped, right? Oh lots lots of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, software quality dropped. Okay. So what about HomeKit then? Where where are you kind of feeling on that? Um, I feel like I may be more positive about HomeKit than the panel, only because I finally used HomeKit in 2017 after being in kind of parallel uh, home automation, Internet of Things universes before that with mm-hmm. you know Amazon Echoes and... Uh, non-HomeKit compatible devices in my house. I bought some HomeKit compatible devices. I installed HomeBridge to get my incompatible devices in HomeKit. I'm using the Home uh, Control Center widget all the time now, which actually is why I complain about the Control Center pulldown in uh, iPhone 10 a lot, is that I use it a lot. And that's my primary interface for turning stuff on and off in my home that's a smart device is that is just the home widget in Control Center. Um, So I think they've they've made a lot of progress. I think the policy changes to make uh, not not require hardware encryption and to open it up to essentially have more third parties be able to support HomeKit. I think HomeKit is getting momentum. I think HomeKit's going to be okay. I think everybody's going to want to support HomeKit um, and that HomeKit's got those additional security features, which makes people happy. Um, so I think that's all. I think that's all fine. Um, I think Internet of Things stuff is in general a mess. 
and HomeKit is a subset of that mess. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that I think I think Apple is making progress and they've made some changes to open up HomeKit that they needed to make and that are good and will overall be good. So, um so yeah, I'm I'm kind of embracing HomeKit and I think Apple has has turned it around. Uh, but it's still a weird category that I don't think I would recommend to most, you know, most civilians. Like, I, I, it's still really messy. It's early days for sure. Merlin Man uh, echoes your sentiments. It still feels like the Wild West, how it feels like the early days of the Wild West, right? This, yeah. Everyone's moving around. New categories and products are popping up all the time. Nothing's working with each other. Like, it's, there's a lot of real strangeness going on in the home automation world. Uh, and Carolina Milanese says, I think Apple has a lot of work to do to make HomeKit broader and hopes that HomePod will help. I'm hoping that some of the software uh, authentication stuff that they're doing and certification, I think it's called, I'm, that, that stuff I think is is like still underway. Um, and I'm hoping to see some changes, some more products popping up when it becomes easier uh, to make your product HomeKit certified. So I still have my fingers crossed for that. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. You can start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash RelayFM. You'll get a 14-day free trial when you do, and use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll grab yourself a lovely 30% off your first invoice. Stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Pingdom detects so many outages you wouldn't believe. 13 million outages a month they detect. Now, you don't want to be one of those people, but it's going to happen to you. This is just the thing. Sometimes stuff breaks on the internet. You just have to deal with it. But when it does, you want to know immediately so you can go and fix what's broken. That's what Pingdom helps you do. They have a fantastic set of tools and services to help you make your website faster and more reliable. You can give Pingdom URLs to monitor and they can take care of the rest. They have 70 global test servers that they have to emulate visits to your site as often as every minute to ensure that everything's running nice and smooth. They can also monitor little dependencies. So let's say you have a login or a contact form or a checkout as part of your website. Pingdom can monitor all of these key interactions and make sure that they're all working. And if one of them's broken, but the website's still up, they'll let you know. And that sort of stuff can take a while to detect until someone tells you. You don't want people tweeting at you and telling you that your website's broken as the first way you find out about it. You want Pingdom to immediately alert you so you can fix it before it affects you. You don't want to be caught out when someone wants to access your site. That is why you need Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial and use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get yourself a lovely 30% off your first invoice. Our sincere thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right, moving on in the report card, uh, we now get to hardware reliability. (laughs) This is one of the really interesting ones because the majority of comments were negative. Now, there were some good ones. So Dan Provost says that Apple is still best in class. Andy Anarko says, still the gold standard for initial build quality and overall endurance. Completely correct. And getting a positive statement from Andy Anarko about Apple. Not an easy thing these days. He's definitely very critical of Apple, and I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting the places where he said, no, they've got this. This is their, This is why they're great. <laughs> but... This one is was a tricky one. Now, where, this is an average score of four. Last year, A-minus, still an A-minus, so it's stuck where it was. 
Does that feel right to you, that it would stick where it was? Has hardware reliability not changed too significantly in the last year, in your opinion? I think it depends on the axe that you're grinding. Like, the <laughs> yeah. the keyboards on the MacBooks have been an issue, and people are frustrated by them. And if you've been bitten by that especially, like Stephen Hackett, like Marco, like you know other people we know, um, that is going to show up. But there's also kind of the bigger picture of, you know, in general, is Apple's hardware pretty reliable? Yes, it is. I should say that the battery stuff about the iPhone like 6 and all of that, um, the, the battery throttling and all of those things going on happened mid-fielding of this survey. So it's possible that people might have changed their mind. Uh, you always have to roll with it if there's a big story that happens during the the survey it can it can uh, affect the results and that's just something you just got to deal with it but i think i think the the panel gave voice to the issues about things like the keyboards while also wanting to give apple credit for making good hardware that generally is uh is solid and trustworthy from jessica dennis the thing with the new macbook pro keyboards breaking due to dust and that condition requirement uh, requiring an extensive repair is really, really bad. Uh, yep. And David Spark says, this year it became clear that the new laptop keyboards, regardless of how you feel about their travel, have been a reliability problem, which is true. Yeah, and this is the thing I think I saw, I think Marco may have talked about it a little bit, but um, the the fact is, <laughs> if it's truly a reliability problem, Apple's going to change that keyboard. They can't keep, because... If you've got keyboards that break easily and are expensive to replace, it's going to have huge impacts on, as they age, on warranty repairs and uh, product liability. Like people start to do class action suits saying you've got to, you know, you got to repair this for free or whatever. It's like if if a bad design that increases the the cost for Apple is like the, going to be the number one motivator to change the design. It's not going to be, well, we like the style. We think this is a, a good fit for our product line. If that's all true and it's still like way more um, breakable than they thought, they'll change it because they have to, because it's going to cost them a whole lot of money and and also make people feel less good about their products that they do. So we'll see. I guess we'll get a sense this year, right, about whether they... Uh, are going to rush out a new keyboard design that is better. Uh, that would be the third iteration of, of of this modern keyboard or a first of a new one. And uh, and we'll see. There's some rumors out there that they may be working on something. There are some competitors. I think there's a, a laptop from, I don't remember the PC laptop manufacturer, but it uses like magnetic switches. So it's like a totally different switch approach where it's using magnetic repulsion. Like, would that work for Apple? Who knows what they're going to do. But um but I do think it's worth pointing out that like I've been very happy, and most of the people who reported in the survey like very happy with the reliability of their Apple hardware in general. So there's a a, a sore point amid a lot of positivity. It might be Dell. Could be Dell. The Dell XPS 15 two in one has a magnetic levitation keyboard. Whatever that means. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very interesting. Well, I think it's attached. I think it's attached at the corners, but the re, the repulsion that you feel in the middle is actually a magnetic repulsion, not a physical pushback. Hmm. Um, I think it's something like that. But it's yeah. So th- there, people are trying that stuff, uh, and maybe Apple is trying that too. 
Uh, but again, Apple could be completely because there's the I don't like it aspect of this, and there's the it breaks aspect. And Apple like Apple knows the numbers for people bringing their laptops back to Apple stores. Like Apple knows that. They've got figures. They can tell whether it is truly an epidemic or whether we are overblowing this, right? They know. They know what that is. Um, They may also have an opinion about how great the new MacBook keyboard is. Somebody obviously does because they've rolled it out to the entire laptop line. Um, But what I'm saying is, like, if that, if the reliability issue is there, doesn't matter, right? That's going to override people thinking, no, but we, we like this keyboard. It's like, but, but it's unreliable. That will be enough for them to change, even if they're sad about it. <laughs> software quality. So we went from hardware quality to software quality. Uh, last year, it was a B minus. This year is a C minus with an average score of 2.7. Now, you were mentioning uh, a moment ago about things in the news affecting the scores and i would say towards the end of the year for a bunch of varying reasons there has been a lot of uh upset about software quality uh, serenity yep. Coldwell does a good job of summing this up apple get your security house in order asap some of the bugs in ios and mac os year were outrageously bad talking about stuff like the root bug Right, like there was a bug a couple of weeks ago about the app store and all this kind of stuff. This survey fielded as the uh, enter in no password and get root access bug was hitting. So yeah. I think that came up a lot in the comments. But in general, like this is the place that everybody took the hammer to Apple and said, you know, this this score went way down, and there's just this feeling like it's buggy. It's really buggy. Um, and, and there was an expectation that this year's software releases, especially high Sierra would smooth things out. And yet people really feel frustrated about high Sierra and iOS 11. And, um, and yeah, I, it's, it, this is, this is the one that stands out as this is where people are grumpy this year is about Apple's, the quality of Apple software. And some people were very specific to say they thought the OS work was doing okay and that some security issues are going to be are understandable and they reacted to them quickly. And so some people were willing to give Apple a pass on the OS and singled out something that's very common uh, over the past few years, which is all the apps that Apple releases <laughs> that are often not updated or kind of like just halfway addressed and so some people were specific about that but i think there's generally this feeling among these observers that there is a little bit of a malaise at apple in terms of the quality of the software they're putting out one of my problems is like i expect there to be bugs in new things right like i spoke about files being buggy i expected it to be buggy because it's a new thing and i expect it will get better over time my big problem with uh, apple software quality this year has been where specific stands that Apple makes makes things worse, like the autocorrect issues that we've had this year, where Apple is deciding to to use their privacy methods to create autocorrect suggestions. It's pulling in incorrect things and pushing them out on a large basis to people. But then my biggest Frustration with this is that the only way they can fix this is via a software update. Like you have to update the software on people's phones to stop a question mark showing where the letter I should be. Like 
that feels like the wrong approach. I feel like something's gone wrong here in that now you have to issue a point release of the operating system to fix an autocorrect bug. Like, that's the sort of stuff that has frustrated me the most this year. Um, I, yep. I like what Dr. Jang says. This is not an illusion. Apple software quality is dropping, and they don't seem to recognize it. I understand that there's much more to keep track of now than there ever has been. But being sympathetic to Apple's difficulties doesn't make me blind to them. I like that. Trust Dr. Drang to say something succinct. Uh, where would, Did I ask you where would you score the software quality? You didn't. I don't know. I, I would put it down. I would put it down. I, you know, I'd put it at, at like two or three. Yeah. Uh, we move on to developer relations. Graded a B. Uh, average score of 3.6. Last year a C+. Uh, got a couple of quotes from some developers. Marco Ament. The App Store and iTunes Connect keep getting better since Phil Schiller took over. James Thompson. Review times are really quick on the whole. Uh, if I did have a complaint, it would be that the test flight app review process is now slower than full app review, which is kind of funny <laughs> to think about. Um, and that test flight for the Mac has just never happened. Um, and then Casey, Casey really, Casey really goes for it here. It's the Casey list. I really think that Apple is already having a bit of a reckoning when it comes to their obsession with secrecy sooner rather than later. Apple can't be reliant upon third-party developers whilst also petulantly refusing to scratch our backs. The community puts up with it because we have little choice. So, like, whilst they, you know, you can see Marco and James saying things are getting better, uh, Casey is saying that whilst, you know, whilst they're getting better, the way that Apple keeps so many things close to their chest is still not very helpful to people and that developers kind of just put up with a lot that they maybe wouldn't if there was somewhere else to go. I have to say that this is a fun category because I had a lot of people who said, well, I'm not a developer. I don't really know. And and even some sort of like, well, why are you even asking this question? And the truth is I just decided because I wanted continuity that I would keep asking the same questions every year. And three years ago, uh, you know, at the at the very end of 2015, uh, so two, I guess, two plus years ago, when I did the first one of these surveys, um, Apple's, there was a lot of friction about Apple's relationship with developers, right? About App Store delays and App Store rejections and all of these things that frustrated developers. It was a hot issue. So I put it in the survey. Um, and the, se- the next question is also co- sort of in that context of like, it was seemed like a bigger deal two years ago than it is now, but I want to keep it around just to see, to monitor it. Um, and Marco said it all, which is what really is funny is Phil Schiller took over the App Store and developer stuff and has made a lot of improvements and things have gotten a lot better. So now I think it's gotten so much better that people look at this category and they're like, why are you even asking about the relationship between Apple and its developers? And that's funny that it is it has come that far, but it was much more controversial than it has been lately. This this is a this is trending in the right direction. And the final category is environmental and social impact. Um, is graded a B plus with an average score of three point eight down from an A minus last year. Yeah, it's um funny. This is so this is the reason this got in there is there are a few reasons. When I started doing this, it was right at the height of lots of stories about um essentially human rights abuses in the supply chain in China, especially. And uh at the same time, Apple also has environmental initiatives and they bought all this solar power for their for their headquarters and they taught they worked with 
uh, Greenpeace on, you know, improving their recyclability of their products. And there's a lot of issues like that. And they talk, Apple talks about making changes in the world and, and they've got health initiatives. And there's, there's a lot of stuff that rolls into this, but that was the genesis of it was uh, especially around, um, around that time when they were talking about the supply chain in Asia and, the, and, the, and a bunch of other stuff that they were doing. So I thought, why don't we just stick a monitor on this and say, how do you feel about this? And there's no, again, there's no rule about what this means to you, environmental and social impact, but it's really just like Apple's programs and behavior in terms of things that are larger than a particular product, but how Apple behaves as a company. And uh, the scores are uh, are down a little from last year, but pretty positive. This is where um, this is where Apple last year got credit for refusing, uh, I think, from a lot of the panel for refusing to hand over uh, encrypted data from an iPhone mm-hmm. used by a, a a person who did a mass shooting, and um, that was uh, I think people gave them credit for, for standing up for, uh, consumer privacy, but you know, the issues change year on year. And so I'm not sure whether the trend means as much as it does to sort of like see what people call out. Yeah. I think also i read some quotes. I, I think a lot of people are hoping that they would have done more in some areas than they have. Yeah. And there seems to be some stalling. So, uh, Stephen Hackett says, Apple continues to lead the way in environmental and social issues, but diversity within the company, especially at the top, continues to be a problem. I understand this stuff takes time, but I'd like more visibility into what's going on throughout the company when it comes to hiring and promoting women and people of color. Uh, and then Stephen Aquino says, Apple continues to lead the industry in providing comprehensive assistive tools for its disabled users. Carolina Milanese says, I think Tim Cook has become a great ambassador and has given Apple a very human side. Um, this is something that I have felt for a long time. Um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think that Tim Cook is a better CEO for Apple than uh, Steve Jobs could be at this point because the biggest company in the world needs someone more like Tim uh, who can stand and, and speak on social issues and stuff like that. And he has come under criticism. Um, there were a few comments in the article that were mentioning that they don't, some people believe that Tim has not shown his hand enough in political issues this year uh, or in the, in the past year. But there are a lot of things that he does stand up for and there are a lot of things he has spoken very openly about and you know that he can be good for that kind of stuff. Uh, Serenity Caldwell says, I'm incredibly pleased to see Apple's work in healthcare and accessibility. Not so thrilled with continuing diversity issues uh, inside the company. And Jessica Dennis points out how there is um, a lot of uh, interesting work going on at uh, Apple Campus, the the Apple Park, for environmental issues. And they're thinking about lots of open spaces and stuff like that. Um, But Apple could continue to go further. We were talking about this at the time. Public transport expansion in these areas could be something that Apple could push on. Um, to to continue to to go further and further. I think that this is one of those areas that people will always want more in, and and it's not wrong. Uh, but I think it's always going to be difficult for this this one to to go up significantly, uh, because every time they get close to something, it will uncover something more. Um, and this is the peril of being the biggest company in the world. People want you to do a lot of stuff, and you kind of have to because you should. So this is a tricky one. We talked about this last week when we talked about uh, taxes and things like that too, is that, you, you know, Apple is, it's a complex issue because Apple is complex because Apple is enormous. It is enormous, an enormous corporation that has 
huge amounts of money and needs to lobby the government for tax changes and needs to lobby the government for policy on things like encryption that affect their customers and their products. They also want to say that they're making a difference and committed to change in various social areas and in improving people's lives through medical initiatives and, uh, as Stephen Aquino pointed out, uh, assisted tools for disabled users. And there's like, there's a lot. There's a lot. And so it's that's it's it's never going to be a simple thing to say oh they're good or they're bad mm-hmm. they're they're it's way more complicated than that but it's worth at least checking the pulse on this every year so i do so having completed the survey um did it go as you expected were there any surprises in the grading uh, i don't know i mean anything where you take an average you're going to push everything toward the middle like cuz that's just what what's going to happen. So you're you're trying to pick things out. I think the trend, the downward trend, for uh, software quality is really telling. That like in a year where everybody seemed to be griping about keyboards, um, people were really concerned about the software quality. Like that is. And again, is it real or not? We can argue about it. Every now and then, I post I, I post one of these, and somebody says that's not true or I don't agree. And it's like, okay, it's just, a, I mean, like it's an opinion survey. <laughs> it's, it's, you can disagree. It's fine. This is, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get a sense of it. And clearly there is a sense among people who carefully watch Apple that Apple has a software problem. And there's also a sense that, uh, Apple's most important platforms had a good year. Like the core platforms, uh, uh, the iPhone and the iPad, especially like, they had a good year. The Apple Watch had a good year. Um, the Mac, not so much, but I feel like there's a lot of uh, anxiety about the Mac out there, and it shows that. And and that's why I keep saying, in some ways, what you do is you look at a survey like this and you nod, because it's sort of a formalization of the stuff you've been hearing on podcasts and reading on blogs and talking to people about um, about Apple, because it sort of feeds into that. This is the summation of it. Um, so not surprising in that sense. Um, and I think, yeah, w- if you would, would you be surprised if I walked up to you and said, so in 2017, uh, people really worried about Apple software quality and not quite sure what's going on with the Mac. You'd, you'd probably say, sounds about right. <laughs> so that's where we are. But the, the good thing and the interesting thing about doing something like this is the trends. So being able to see how things change year on year is one of the things that I find so interesting about this. Yeah, now that I have a little bit of a track record and um, the question next year is, will I add some things to the survey? Um, but one of the reasons you keep things on, on a survey is that you get to start comparing. And there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting, there's a lot of interesting trends like hardware reliability, although it's still got a pretty good score, is trending down. It, it did, you, there is, there has been an impact with the, all of this discussion of especially like the keyboards and the um the you know the environmental social is actually trending down um but developer relations like i said is trending up and uh so you know it's it's just a it, and uh, homekit is actually a, for as low a score as it it's got it's trending up which i think makes sense like it's a low score but it but the perception keeps going up so you can see where they're getting momentum. They're changing minds, even though it's a slow process. So that, yeah, it is, it is fascinating to have that, um, to have that trend now, which I didn't used to have because I have only done the survey for three years now. 
why I'm asking you to crack out a crystal ball right now, but is there anything that you're currently watching for for 2018 scorecard? Is there anything you're expecting to change? Or anything that you think that you will add or that you will want to add um, as a change of Apple? I don't know. Um, I, I, I want to see where the Mac goes, but don't we all? Like, I feel like we, sure. we've really set the Mac up for the expectations are high for uh, Apple I to change how it does it. the Mac. I would say they did it, right? Like, they brought a bunch of journalists into a room, right? They, they set themselves up pretty yeah. high. Yeah, no, expectations, they set the expectations, right? But expectations are high. People are going into this year thinking, all right, Apple's going to do a new Mac Pro. Let's see if they're going to fix the keyboard thing. Do they know, you know, and it just takes them time to turn the ship. But this is this is the year they're going to get it together. We're going to see more of a recommitment to the Mac. You know, m- maybe some of that will be true. I... I believe that Apple is going to change and is already changing its approach to the Mac hardware and will continue to do that. I think the big question mark is going to be, is the Mac as a platform something that Apple's going to really invest a lot of effort into? Or are they going to keep it going, but it's kind of in maintenance mode? And some people will react very differently than other people to that. Um, My gut feeling is that a lot of Mac people could use a year of maintenance mode. <laughs> um, but there is also a frustration like, why isn't this on the Mac? Why isn't this on the Mac? Why are they not doing new things on the Mac? Because they're all all the new stuff is happening on other platforms. And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. So um, I think the Mac just, there's still question marks there. There's more expectation and, uh, and we'll see where it goes. I'm curious about the watch now that the watch hardware, um, they've kind of achieved their first, major milestone of of like the watch as a product by getting to LTE what happens next with the watch do they change the design do they keep it static and work on the software side that that it remains to be seen and then you know generally software quality i mean and hardware reliability like people are grumpy and they're giving them credit on hardware and not on software and is that going to change this year um in terms of new categories I don't know. Um, I'm thinking about it. We'll see how, how what what sticks in my mind by the end of the year. I don't want to make the survey too long. A lot of people were very nice. I think I had about 25,000 words in total written in the survey boxes, um, which is just, it, it was a lot. And that's why it took me until the middle of January to get the story out. But um, uh, I appreciate that. I don't want to make the survey longer. Um, nor do I want to mandate, because I don't, that people actually fill in all the boxes. But um, some of them do. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to do too much. But we'll see. So we have run out of time uh, for Ask Upgrade today, but uh, I'm going to save those great Ask Upgrade questions that we have for next week. So you can always send those in with a hashtag Ask Upgrade if you have any questions you'd like us to answer at the end of the show. Uh, we collect them up, and I've got a lovely set already set for next week's episode. Um, if you want to find our show notes for today, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 178. If you enjoy this show, and there's a friend of yours or a family member that you think may also enjoy it, why don't you ask them to subscribe? Say, hey, Mike and Jason have a great discussion every week about Apple and technology and now media as well. You should go and check it out. I think you'd enjoy it. I think people would would be happy because we like this show and we think that more people would like it too. Um, If you want to find Jason online, he's over at sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com. He is at jsnell on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. We both host a slew of shows at Relay FM, and you can find those at relay.fm slash 
shows. Uh, I want to say thanks again to our sponsors this week, the great people at Pingdom, uh, Smile with PDF Pen, and Simple Contacts. And uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, everybody.